couple things I need to throw at you before we get rolling and then we'll jump into our sermon. Um, first of all, you tell them. You tell them. Um, first of all, I am overwhelmed with gratitude at how people responded to last week's sermon. Um, please never fear. I'm not going to preach like that again. It took me, a, I feel like I'm still recovering. Um, emotionally, but, um, I, I, so many kind, wonderful emails and messages and just really awesome. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as a virtual hug, but I got a lot of them, uh, this last week. So many that, um, I can't, there's no way for me to reply to all of the emails, which, what a cool problem to have. Listen, if you sent me a message, know that I read it and I am so grateful. Um, thank you for that. It was really, really incredible. Um, that I, I wanted to follow that up with, um, the, the prayer night that we're doing next week. Um, I don't know if you guys were here at the last one that we did, but if you were, you back me up on this. Since I've been here, that was the most, and I don't know the right vocabulary for it, the most full of the spirit thing that has happened to our church. Since, since we've been here. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know how else to describe it. It was profound. Like, um, yeah, God's presence was thick amongst us. And, uh, and I'm trying to find words to help you understand what I'm trying to describe. Uh, it was amazing. And I can tell you this, just for that one experience, I won't miss another one. Um, and we're just getting started. Like, I really am one, I hope you guys can come and pray with us. Uh, next Sunday night. Last thing that I want to throw at you and then we'll get rolling is um, Israel's coming up in May. And I know a lot of you guys have been talking about wanting to go. Uh, it's time to get up signed up on the list. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, you can go to southeastcc.org, click on the resources tab and go down to study tours. And that will do that. I um, Here's the thing. If you want to go, you probably need to go ahead and get signed up. And the reason is because it's going to take you some time to get into the physical shape that it takes to do the trip. Um, so you need to, you need to buy in because there's a lot of walking. Um, but it's well worth it. It's just profound. It's so profound to sit in this, in a room and go, guys, Jesus taught here. Like the words that you read in the Bible, they were spoken in this room. It just, it's transformational. It's transformational. So I want to invite you to come and do that if you want to do that. But we need to get you signed up, get you on the list so we can get things rolling. Okay, we're going to talk about something that's kind of central to prayer and, and really kind of foundational to our Christian life. And that is, how do we hear God's voice? God speaks to us. How do we hear his voice? Because this, this is, if, if you don't know how to hear God's voice in your Christian life, like we're, we're in trouble. There are the, the, the longer that I walk with the Lord and the more that I press into my relationship with him, the more that I realize that life is an ongoing conversation with God. That it's, um, for years in my, in my life, there was the big assignment moments where God comes in and he's like, this, do this big thing. 
And there were not very many of those, but there were some. And, and I would have said, this is when God speaks to me. The other times, God just kind of lets me use my best judgment, almost as if God kind of wound up the world and then he steps back and kind of watches it operate. And he's kind of like trying to keep us from falling off the tightrope, but he's not really. The more that I press into my relationship with God, what I'm realizing is when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not talking about um, stop and fold your hands and close your eyes. You couldn't do that, right? Like sometimes we're driving. Don't close your eyes and pray. Even though you know you need to pray, because either you need to repent for the guy you just cut off or you need to repent for how you talked about the guy that just cut you off. <laughs> or, the, okay, so I have two pet peeves about driving and I'll just share them with you. Um, this is welcome to Aaron's life hour. Um, two, two things. First of all, when you pull up to a stoplight, don't put a big old gap between you and the car in front of you. Cause, cause here's why. Cause what you do is you make the line of cars a lot longer than it needs to be. And then people that are trying to get into the turning lane can't because you back the cars up because you got a big old gap. If you just squeeze it, just let them in. They're going to miss the light and probably they're going to need to repent. And that's your fault. I lay that at your feet. <laughs> Here's the other thing. Don't drive in people's blind spot. Like be aware enough to know where you're at in relation to the cars around you. Put your phone down and be aware. Because it's dangerous. Like either pull up or step back or pass them or something, but don't sit in a, It's dangerous. How many times... I. I lay that at your feet. My repentance is your sin. Like that's, I don't know if I can pin that biblically, but I feel that in my spirit. That was probably not from the Lord. But we can't pray with our eyes closed all the time. That's not when we're talking about praying without ceasing. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is this ongoing conversation with God. And the more that I spend time in the presence of God, the more that I realize that God's relationship with me isn't moments of big assignment drops. Those happen, but it's this ongoing conversation with him. And minute by minute, there's a, a place where I can quiet my spirit and sit with the Lord and say, God, what, what now? Wait, what would you say to me now? What, what do you have for me now? It's a conversation. It's not just me talking uh, I had a friend that was a, a atheist, that is an atheist, um, that posted a diagram on Facebook, the, the great bastion of all things good and holy, Facebook. And the diagram basically says this, I pray, and then it went like this and then came out. It's in God's will, it's not in God's will. And it went down. God's not going to answer it because it's not in his will. God is going to answer it because it's in his will. And it came back together and was like, why pray? If that's all my prayer is, that makes sense. Right? If all my prayer is, is trying to get God to do things for me, 
then that makes sense. But prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is this ongoing conversation with God where I surrender my heart to God's heart. Like I make my heart like God's heart. I don't try to convince God's heart to be like my heart. I make my heart like God's heart. And sometimes there are really entrenched, deeply dug in uh, parts of my life that are not, they don't look like God. And I have to deal with those. I have to deal with those. And so in that ongoing conversation, God lovingly and graciously takes those things from me, those things that keep me from being a better image of Jesus. But I got to be able to hear God's voice in order to understand that. And so what I want to do today is I want to walk us through seven different languages that God uses to speak to us. And all of them will be used by God at different times. <clears throat> this is adapted from the book Whisper by Mark Batterson. Um, and by the way, I, I would offer that anything written by Mark Batterson is worth reading. Uh, but this book is really good when we're starting to talk about how to hear the voice of God. Um, Here's, here's what I want to begin with is this. God's primary dialect, his primary way that he is going to speak to you is through his word. That's the primary. So if you're not spending time in God's word, but you're praying, you're probably not going to be hearing God's voice as well as you should because God's primary dialect is his word. And that's important because it's the foundation upon which all the rest of our relationship with him is built. That It doesn't change. And so God's word, and this again, this isn't an apologetic sermon, but God's word has not changed. It has not changed. And so we, we need to know what that says because that's kind of there once and for all. God foundationally and fundamentally speaks to us through his Word. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says this Every word of God is flawless. He's a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Every word of God is flawless. Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 4, is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, where it says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is important. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and active. That's actually important for us to know that. Like when you're reading the Bible, it's a living document. What does that mean? It doesn't mean it's changing. What it means is the Bible, because of the spirit-filled nature of it, as I read it, it impacts me right where I am. And so if you go, well, but I don't, what if I understand it wrong? What if I understand it wrong? Cause I don't know everything. What if I misunderstand what the, what the Bible's trying to say? When we're saying that, what we're, what I think we're meaning is, do I understand the word of God in its fullness? The answer to that is no. If you're human, we don't understand the word of God in its fullness. There's always layers to the word of God. There's more, it's deeper, more profound, always. And think about this. If there's any part of God, in any minute detail of God that you fully understand, then your God is too small. He's not the God of the Bible. So do you understand the word in its fullness? No. 
But the word of God can meet you because of the Holy Spirit working through those words in your life. The word of God can meet you right where you're at. And that's why when you read the Bible, you read it, a passage and it hits you and it's like, man, that's exactly what I need for the situation that I'm in. And then months later, you come back and read the same passage and it hits you completely different. And you're like, man, how does that, I thought I had the meaning of it. I thought I understood this passage, but there's all this other stuff. Why? Because the, because the word is living. It, it, it's like talking to a friend that has really good advice all the time. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing to soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes this to his disciple. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So we have to be willing to work to understand it. What that means is that when I read the Bible or when I leverage the Bible to make decisions in my life or to offer advice for others to make decisions in their lives, that I don't have to worry or be ashamed of the advice that I'm giving because I've done my work. I don't need to, I don't need to be ashamed. I correctly handle the word of truth. And that's the important piece is that I don't need to understand the word of God from my perspective. I need to understand the word of God from God's perspective. That's important because a lot of people will leverage the Bible to hold up their own belief system. And the problem is the Bible is, I mean, it's a big book, right? Lots of words and not very many pictures. So if you, if you look at it, you can literally make the Bible say anything you want to, but God doesn't like to be taken out of context. You've got to put the word of God together to understand what it's saying in one bigger picture. And that, that takes work. That takes effort. I think most people don't want to know what the word says. And the reason I know that is because they're not reading it. Like you have access. You guys have more Bibles in your home than there some countries have in their entire country. Like, we have to understand, like, you have access to the word. You have access to what, to the word, what the word says. But you got to do the work, right? Well, that's hard. Oh, well, then you don't want to know what God says. And I'll give you a simple example. Culture starts to bleed into our understanding of the Bible. So when we read the phrase, God is love, is that true? The answer to that question is yes. But how we interpret it in our culture is love is God. God is love. He's not only love. He's also holy and righteous and just. He's also those things. And so we have to be careful because our culture defines love as, let me just accept you wherever you're at and, and I'm just going to be okay with everything that you're doing. Listen, I can love you and uphold your value and your dignity as a human and completely disagree with your life. And because we don't press into our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we don't do that well because we try to do it under our own emotional power. It takes supernatural guidance to be able to know how to navigate those kinds of conversations because it's hard. 
When do I stand and when am I quiet? And when do I just say I disagree, but we can move on? And like, it's complex and all these issues are really, really hard. If I don't, under, if I don't understand how to hear from God, I'm never gonna have a sound way to do that well. So we've got to do the work of correctly handling the word of truth. So this is God's primary dialect, is the Bible. Fundamentally, God will most regularly speak to you through his word. And so we need to spend time in his word. Um, even just this morning, um, normally I get up on Sunday mornings and, uh, and I go out and run. I looked at the temperature this morning and I was like, um, I don't feel like I have anything to prove today. <laughs> so I just got to spend some extra time with the Lord, which is fantastic. And uh, God brought me to a passage in Revelation that I was just like, oh man, does this speak right to where I'm at? Thank you, Lord. Because what it did was it, the passage prepared me for today. It prepared me, for, not for my sermon, prepared me as a human for today, for how do I engage people today. It was really, really incredible. I love how God's word does that. So I want to give us six other languages that God uses. He will always use these languages in conjunction with his word. And that's important. Okay. So when we have these six other dialects that God uses, we always want to confirm them with other of these six languages. Okay. So you'll understand what I'm saying in a minute, but never can one of these stand on its own. The word can stand on its own. Any of these other things, we need to square with God's word and with these other six languages, okay? So I'm gonna give you three Ps and three Ds. Um, I didn't come up with this because I'm, I'm not alliterative like that at all. But three Ps and three Ds. First P is people. Sometimes God speaks to us through people. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, it says this. See to it, brothers, that... None of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart, <coughs> excuse me, that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. How often are we supposed to encourage one another? Daily. Why? Because I need it. Like, how long does it take for you to get messed up in the head. Like I, I'm, I'm like zero to a hundred like that. Like it, I, I can go from normal to whacked out in a really short period of time just by sitting in my own head, right? And, and, and pretty soon I'm all spun up and I'm, I've been thinking and now I'm frustrated and then I'm starting to think, about, oh yeah, and this, and, and I'm in my own mind. So I'm thinking about all the ways that I've been wronged and, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then pretty soon nobody can walk across the street, right? Like I'm ready to go to war. Like five minutes. We've got to encourage one another daily. So here's, here's how that looks. There are so many times in my life that somebody will be talking to me and they'll say something that they don't even realize that they, what, how important what they said was. They, they, they don't even realize how significant it was in my life, but it was just exactly what I needed to hear. And sometimes they'll, people will say, you know, like the Lord, the Lord laid this on my heart for you. 
And, and, and that's great. I, I'm, I'm for that. But here's what I want to say. When somebody says, the Lord laid this on my heart for you, uh, two things. If you use that phrase, you better make sure that it was the Lord. First of all, don't presume to use the name of God when you question whether or not it, because it could have been the Lord. It could have been the Lord that gave it to you. It could have been gas. Like we misinterpret the burning in the bosom. You know what I mean? It was a quickening. Now it's gone. You know, that's, it's gone. It could have been that. We don't know. So if you're going to say, God told me to tell you this, it better make sure that God actually did say that, that you should tell that to somebody. But here's the other thing. When somebody says to you, the Lord told me to tell you this, don't just accept it or reject it. Pray it through. Like, pray it through. It could be, I mean, there's a million variables. They could be wrong. It could be a hard truth that you don't want to hear, but you need it. And that takes time to accept. Like, there's a lot of variables in how that could work. But make sure you pray it through before you either accept it or reject it. Take it to the Lord. Because if God has a word for you from someone else, then I guarantee you, Jesus wants to talk to you about it. He doesn't want to talk to somebody else for you, even though that happens sometimes. He wants to talk to you about you. But here's the other part of this that's really important. How many times in your life have you gotten a message from somebody that just said, hey, I was thinking about you today? And it meant the world. Like at that right moment, right time, it just meant the world. That somebody was like in the, in the mundane busyness of life, somebody noticed me. Somebody thought of me. Like that's a big deal. And, and so when we receive that, we got to recognize that as God saying, hey, I just want you to know I see you and I love you. And here's the other thing. When, when you have somebody that just pops in your head for no, ran, no apparent reason, you should follow up with that. Because again, that may, may be gas. It may be God laying them on your heart. And you don't know, so follow through. The worst case scenario when you just text them and say, hey, I just want you to know I was thinking about you. Hope you're doing well. No big theological discussion, no, no some profound spiritual, just, hey, I just want you to know that I was thinking about you. You're, you matter. It's huge. It's huge for people. And those moments are game changers in our course, and God knows when we need them. And he puts us, when, when I need that, God will put me on the mind of someone else who will reach out to me. Just, just this morning, somebody came to me and said, hey, I don't know what's going on, but um, I just want you to know God woke me up at three this morning thinking about you, so I've just been praying for you. They don't know any of the specifics in my life, but it sure feels good to know somebody's praying for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so simple. It's so simple for us to encourage one another. It just takes a second. Second P is prompting. So we have prayer, and then we have or people, and then we have prompting. This one, people like this one because it's efficient. 
never trust a prompting by itself. Are, are you with me? Never trust a prompting by itself. Could be Holy Spirit. Could be gas. Could be. You don't know. But God does prompt us to do things at times. John 14, 26, <clears throat> it says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, you to, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is a comforting verse. Because when we stand in a space where somebody like needs something, and I don't know that I have it to give, they're asking a question or they need encouragement or something, and I don't know that I have it to give. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about like emotional or spiritual strength. They need, they need to make a withdrawal from the bank because they're running low. Um, it's always a little bit nerve wracking to be like, Hey, can I, do I have the words to speak to that? And then what usually happens is when we say something, then we walk away and we think about it and we stew on it and stew on it. So I'm like, oh, I should have said this. That would have been way gooder. Like, here's, here's the thing. When you're in that situation, this should free you. It's not about you. All you got to do is step into that space Trust that when you speak from a heart that's trying to be centered on God, that Holy Spirit is going to take those words and do what he needs to do with them in the heart of the other person. That way I can walk out of that with the confidence that while I may or may not have said everything right, I can tell you that they heard it just the way the Holy Spirit intended for them to hear it. And that's what needed to happen anyway. I'm just a vessel in that process which I think is more often than not how the Holy Spirit works anyway. Um, the Holy Spirit doesn't work so much in like this. The Holy Spirit works like this. Does that make sense? Like the Holy Spirit's not just working between me and him. The Holy Spirit's wor working between him and another person by using me in the process and vice versa. Holy Spirit's working on me by using another person in the process. There's this, this rhythm to it where I become a pass-through for the Holy Spirit to minister to other people. And so I can have the confidence that it's the Holy Spirit doing his work. I don't have to worry about it. So sometimes I get prompted to say things. Sometimes I get prompted to do things for people. And, and that's great. Be leery of trusting a prompting by itself. Number three. So people, if prompting, number three is pain. God uses pain. Now, this is not a sermon on why bad things happen to good people. That's a much broader conversation. But one of the things that happens that God uses is hard things in our life. God uses them. Um, quick practical story. So you guys know I'm coaching wrestling uh, at Luhai. And uh, the boys, I love my boys. Um, and they are, they are just absolute champions. I, I love them. We were at one point... Um, as coaches, we were looking at them going, they're, they're a little bit mentally soft. And wrestling, more than any other sport, exposes that. 
in a person. Like when you, because it's just you and one other person out there and you're going to do your work or not. And wrestling, there's skill and there's strength and athleticism and all that stuff involved in it, but it's like 90% mental. Like it's a mental game that you got to win. It's such a good metaphor for life because it's also true in life. So much of life isn't about the skills we bring to it. It's about the mindset with which we live it. And so we were talking as coaches, like, how do we get these guys to be a little bit more mentally tough? And I, and I said, um, I only know one way to do that. So the only way I know how to do it is you push them until they're, they break and then you keep pushing them. And they were like, okay, let's do that. And I was like, we're going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> so we had, we called it the practice of practices. P-Day, if you will. And we, we started off with sprinting, 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 live wrestling, live wrestling. Live wrestling, monkey rolls, monkey rolls, monkey rolls, live wrestling, live wrestling, live wrestling. And sprinting, conditioning, jogging, up downs, push ups, planks, live wrestling, live wrestling, live wrestling. Which if you, here's the deal. If you, if you've ever wrestled, <laughs> live wrestling is enough, right? If we do this, do this and, and about an hour in, kids found their limit. And we kept going and we had, and sprint and squats and live wrestling and planks and live wrestling and sprinting and live wrestling. And, and kids started to get tears in their eyes. And, and I had, I had one kid in particular, um, that I get to work out with a lot um, that was, I mean, he was crying and he's coming at me and he's crying, you know, and with all the love in my heart, I had to tag him on the back of the head and throw him. <laughs> and he got up. Oh! I said, don't come at me mad. Oh! Whack! <laughs> Again, four times in a row. So he wouldn't get up anymore. I was like, get up. Now here's the thing. Internally, I'm dying. Because on the one hand, like I'm bringing this kid pain. I don't want that. He's a, I love this kid. And yet, pushing him past that point helped him understand that there was way more in him than he knew was there. That's what God does with pain in our life. And at the end of the practice, we got to, we got to step in and go, guys, look at what you did. You didn't know you could do that. You didn't want to do it, but you did it. And they're better men for it. God uses pain like that in our life. This is what Hebrews 12 says. It says, for the moment, at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Like, nobody, like, I think about, like, my sermon from last week, I, I still am in a place where I have a lot of unanswered questions, right? What I also can say today that I don't know that I could have said right after it happened is that God knows, God has a perspective for me and for that situation that is way bigger than mine. And there's pieces of the puzzle that he has that I don't have. And God is good and he is faithful and he is kind and his promises are secure. And I ask some questions that don't have easy answers that I may never understand. And today, my faith is deeper because God pushed me to that place. I did not want to go there and I don't want to go there again, but it's necessary. It's necessary for us to deepen our faith that way. And again, I'm still in the real-time journey of that. Like Romans 8.28, remember the throat punch verse? Um, don't Romans 8.28, people. It says Romans 8.28 and 29. Romans 8.29 is the reason why Romans 8.28 is so important. And people leave that off and it's really painful. Here's what it says. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Let me stop right there and say this. It doesn't say that all things are good. Some things are not good. Some things are really bad. Some things are really hard. But they can work to good because of what Romans 8.29 says. All, for, you know, those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. If we let pain do its work, what happens is a better version of Jesus lives in our hearts. And that is good. If we let pain consume and crush us, then we just become angry and bitter and we don't have any friends. We can't figure it out. Like, I'm a great person. No, you're kind of mean. But if we let pain do its work, it creates a better version of Jesus living in us. And that doesn't make it good or easy. It just makes it worth it. Number four. We go, so those are our three Ps. We're going to go through three Ds. Number four is doors. God uses doors to direct our path. And I'm going to give you a number of passages. I'm not going to articulate on this much, but I want to give you these passages. Romans 3.8 or excuse me, Revelation 3.8 says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Colossians 4.3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. 1 Corinthians 16 but I will st stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Acts 14, 27. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. When I came to Troas, whoa, whoa, whoa. Somebody hit the button. Um, but I have the clicker. 
When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. God uses doors. If you think about like walking your, your spiritual life like a hall, long hallway, it's got a whole bunch of doors in it. The open doors and shut doors are things that God uses to direct our path. So we need to pay attention to those. Next one is desires. God uses desires. Now, here's the thing. Um, for a lot of us, we look at our desires. Psalm 37.4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. We look at that verse and say, see, if I'm righteous enough or spiritual enough or if I'm Christian enough, then when I pray, God gives me what I want. Here's the problem with that. If we're rooting our prayers in our own selfish desires, then why would you want that? That's uh, My selfish desires might be temporarily good, but they ultimately lead to my destruction and to the destruction of people around me because they're selfish in nature. Why would you want those desires? What that verse actually says is that when you delight in the Lord, he puts desires in your heart. You start to want what God wants when you delight in the Lord. The things that you used to want that were so self-centered don't matter as much anymore. That's what that verse means. And God uses those, as we delight in him, God uses those desires to direct our path. Now again, don't use that by itself because it's often hard for us to decide the difference between a spiritual desire and a fleshly desire. It's hard for us to know the difference on those things. The simple example, just think about like marriage. That person that I'm choosing to fall for, is that a spiritual desire or is that a fleshly desire? You better know because marriage is a long time. And I'm going to tell you this, when you're in a marriage you don't want to be in, that ain't much fun. And if you're with somebody who's not willing to do the spiritual work, that is not much fun. But man, they were super hot when we were dating. Like there, there's not a do-over on that. Here's the sixth one. Dreams. So we have people prompting and pain, doors, desires, and dreams. Here's the thing about dreams. God speaks to us in dreams. He does. Uh, Acts 2.17, it says this, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Like, the, But I will also say this, and this is important for you to know, not all dreams are from God. Just because you're having a dream doesn't mean God's giving you a message. Here's, so I'm 49 years old and, and I'm at the age now in my life where um, I have to watch what I eat before I go to bed. Because if I don't, there's all kinds of problems with sleep that can happen. I'm just at that age, that stage of life now. And here's what I know to be true. I don't know 
why it's true, but I know that if I eat Doritos right before I go to bed, I'm going to have some crazy dreams. 100% of the time. Now, here's the deal. Doritos are Delorge cheaps. Like, I, I love them. I love them. But I can't eat them before I go to bed. <laughs> I have crazy dreams. They're crazy. Uh, and they don't make... You know how a dream makes total sense to you in the dream... But then you wake up and you're like, yeah, it was my house, but it wasn't. And it was an alien, but it was my sister. And my brother was an elephant. But it made sense in the dream. It made sense in the dream. You just had to be there. Like, okay, so that's a dream. There's a difference between a dream and a God-given vision. There's differences. I think one of the, one of the biggest differences is when you have a, when you get a dream from the Lord, you can't shake it. Like it unsettles you. Um, for, for the whole day or for a longer period of time, like you can't get rid of it. Uh, typically in my experience, uh, dreams are very, God's dreams are very vivid. Now, I, here's the thing. I don't often remember my dreams. I know that the brain dreams while you sleep, but I don't remember them. Um, visions from God are vivid. Like, like this, it's, it's not like I'm in a dream state. It's like I'm in an alternate reality. Like God has taken me someplace and wants to show me something. And I know there's a lot of us like, I'm totally uncomfortable with that. Well, I get that, but I'm just telling you, God works that way. Again, never trust it by itself. We like it because it's efficient, but never trust it by itself. And this is one of the reasons why we invite you into life groups. Because if you're going to hear God speak well and consistently in your life, you need a community of people that will help you. To, to discern and decipher what's going on there, because they can confirm that. Or confirm that it was the Doritos. Like either way, you need to know. You need to know. Uh, I have some implications for us as we shut this down. Implication number one is this. God's primary language will always be the word. Like that is foundational, true, consistent, clean, and, and safe in the sense that it doesn't change. It says what it says. Implication number two. While God can use any of these ways of speaking to us, he will never speak to us in contradiction to his word. Nothing that he ever says to you will ever contradict what his word says. So if you feel like you had a vision, but it leads you to a space that's inconsistent with God's word, then it wasn't from God. Implication number three. If you sense God speaking to you in one of these six secondary dialects, make sure that you square it with the word. Uh, I have a funny story to tell you um, that we don't have time for, but I don't care. Uh, when I was in youth ministry, I was doing a, a lesson on like understanding like truth, like the whole truth and not polluting the truth. And so what I did was the kitchen in this particular church building that we met in uh, had a big roll-up window that went into the auditorium where we met. And so before all the kids showed up, I baked a whole bunch of brownies. 
and rolled up the door and just let the smell of the brownies waft into the auditorium. Um, and it's lunchtime, so I'm really, I'm really loving, savoring this story right now. Um, so I, I line up all these brownies and all the kids come in. They're like, oh, it smells so good. Oh, man. Because that's how teenagers talk. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and um, we, I was like, guys, who wants a brownie? And they were like, I want a brownie. You know, all the football players, give me a brownie. Um, <laughs> climbing over people. I said, here's the, th- here's the only thing you need to know. They're like 99% brownie. But what I did was I sprinkled just a little bit of dog poop in them. Like, uh, 99% brownie, like, odds are you're going to get all brownie. I, I don't know. Like, I, it's hard to tell, right? This is what we do with truth when we don't let God's word say what it says. This is what we do. It's like, it's mostly true, but there's enough cultural dog poop in it that we make it not palatable. Implication number four. God wants to and will speak to us in order to lead us toward his desires for our life. His desires are better than anything we can dream up for ourselves. Here's the thing. This is really important. Ephesians 3, the end, verses 20 and 21, it says, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I have some lofty dreams I can imagine pretty big stuff. Especially when it comes to making me happy. God is able to do immeasurably more than that. Like not not 10 times more or 100 times more or a million times more. Immeasurably more than I could ever think or imagine. So why in the world... Would I want my own desires? How limited is that? How painfully short-sighted. But in order for me to get God's best dreams for my life, I have to be willing to surrender my heart completely. To be willing to go there. Now, that being said, as we move into our communion time, I would just invite you to wrestle with this question as we get our hearts right to communion together. Um, where are you short-selling your relationship with the Lord? Where have you chosen your own dreams over God's dreams? Where has that space been? Let's spend some time talking with the Lord as we move forward. On the, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then 
after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, this is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for the revelation of your presence as we seek your face, that you, you enjoy just hanging out with us, not cooking up great things for us to do, but just us getting to know you more and more and more. God, thank you that the more that we sit in your presence, the more that we long to be there as if we're created for it. Give us the courage to face down the obstacles that keep us from going there, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.